Welcome to Health Hackers episode 49. My special guest today is Jennifer Fugo, a functional clinical nutritionist who specializes in looking for the root causes of chronic skin rashes. Using her professional and clinical insights, along with her own personal experience of dealing with a stubborn and painful skin problem, Jennifer is the go-to practitioner for her clients who are trying to figure out what's underlying their skin rashes, as well as their accompanying symptoms like brain fog, chronic fatigue, autoimmunity, and gut health issues. Jennifer is the founder of Skinterrupt, an online hub of information on a variety of difficult skin conditions. She is the host of the Healthy Skin Show podcast and authored the book, The Savvy Gluten-Free Shopper, How to Eat Healthy Without Breaking the Bank. Jennifer is also a member of the American Nutrition Association and an advisor for the Nutritional Aesthetics Alliance. Before we begin, a quick note to new Health Hackers viewers and listeners. Anything you hear or see on Health Hackers episodes should not be considered personal or medical advice. You know the score. Always talk to your health provider about your concerns. Now, Jennifer, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to do this. Well, you and I initially got talking through Instagram, where you have a great following of people keeping across your posts about chronic skin conditions. And as a clinical nutritionist, would you tell us a bit about what led you to specialize in rashes? I know it's a weird thing, right? <laughs> Most people are like, IBS all of those digestive things. And I'm like talking about skin. Um, what really led me to want to focus in this area, specifically on people who have these chronic skin rash conditions like eczema and psoriasis, is that I had developed eczema myself. Actually, it's called dyshydroidic eczema. It's a form of eczema that typically impacts the, the um, palms of the hands and the soles of your feet. And what happens is you develop these little clear, almost like blister looking thing. It almost looks like you have like little glass beads under your skin and they start to get really itchy and then they kind of burst and you end up with this huge itchy red rash and it goes through its flare state and then it dies down, dries out and you just keep going through this like really vicious cycle. And this happened to me in the middle of grad school. And I almost threw in the towel and said, I can't do this. I didn't want to meet with people anymore. I couldn't shake people's hands. I couldn't go to the gym. I would wake up in the middle of the night. I've been scratching myself and my hands were like bloody. And I mean, it was just very, very miserable. Um, and I walk around wearing gloves all the time. Like I'm sure people thought that that looked strange, but I couldn't wash my hands. And so eventually I did figure out to some degree what was going on and was able to get the dyshydratic eczema to stop. It took a long time. It took about a year. However, I was in a Facebook group and I kept seeing photos of the people in there posting of, you know, eczema in different spots or their children. And I just was like, I can't, I feel like I can't, I'm not done. Like the work that I did, I want to tell them about, I want to let them know that the non-options that they're being told. I mean, there's, listen, no offense to dermatologists. I have many colleagues who are dermatologists who really do think quite differently than some of the other like conventional regular docs out there that, you know, so there is, there is an integrative dermatology group of physicians that are trying to push a change in dermatology, but to be told that all you can do are antibiotics, steroids, immunosuppressants, biologics, there are so many more things going on and 
it's sad that in this day and age, there is legitimate research that demonstrates connections between the skin and the gut, the skin and the liver and all these different things. And it's just not making its way down. And so I wanted to share that. And that was the inspiration. So in this process of wanting to share that and help other people, had you managed to resolve the eczema on your hand? Yes, I was. Um, I, so the way that I did it, I would never suggest anyone else do it. I just, I didn't know what I was doing. I'm going to be entirely honest. I was still in grad school. I came up with this supplement and diet protocol. I was just guessing. I was really trying to pack all the nutrients in and for six months. I saw no difference and I have no idea why I stuck with it, but I did. And after about six months, I started to see some improvements. The flares would be less and less frequent. And then eventually they stopped. And actually a number of my nails had gotten very messed up. Anyone who has hand eczema and even actually psoriasis will notice that your nails get kind of like destroyed, like wavy and they just don't look right. And so it took about another year to grow them out um, where they finally looked normal. But I have had some flares <laughs> periodically when I've done some little, um, like I'll, I'll play around with some resistant starch or something like that. A year ago, I had a flare as a result of that. That was not fun. Um, and so it's my reminder that something is going on internally. I need to look within, I need to address something. So it, I, I don't have this combative relationship with eczema anymore. To me, it is, it's like the check engine light of your car. It tells me that something needs attention. And, um, and so fortunately, I haven't had too many problems with it, but I have been in the last year since that flare addressing the underlying issues. So that's, that's, an, that's a long road. So it's okay, but it is what it is. When you said it's telling you you needed attention it needs attention it, is that the purpose of a rash or what is the function of a rash from a bodily perspective i would say that a rash can be a so the skin is connected to everything right we're one being we're not this um disconnected textbook <laughs> like you know you go to the endocrinology section or you go to the the cardiovascular section we're really in 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 life we're one being, everything communicates with one another. And so the skin is the lowest priority organ, unfortunately. And so as other systems become increasingly depleted, so for example, as your thyroid may have trouble, I don't have a thyroid issue, but some of my clients do. So their thyroid starts to really take a hit. That may happen because of gut issues or they're not eating appropriately and so they're missing nutrients and whatnot. But the thyroid starts taking a hit, goes lower and lower. The skin at a certain point isn't getting the nutrients out to it, and we're not having enough thyroid hormone to help with cellular turnover and processes. And so the skin is almost like a check engine light. It's saying, hey, something is going wrong. And it's not just, I want to be very clear here, everyone's eczema, everyone's psoriasis, their rosacea, their dandruff, it shows up differently. And we like to niche ourselves down into these diagnoses while that's helpful. Being very specific about your symptoms is actually more helpful. So for me, it can give me a picture of what's going on and what things we need to look for, whether we need to check for certain blood labs, nutrient levels, um, look at stool tests. So um, I think for anyone who's struggling with rashes, it's important to not just say, I have eczema, I have hives. That's great. But what, what's the experience for you? 
And um, translating that to someone who can help you or sharing that with someone who can translate that for you is incredibly powerful. So you managed to really help your eczema uh, through a protocol that you developed, although I know you don't recommend anyone copies what you did. But when your clients reach out to you for help, what kinds of rashes are they presenting with and where do you begin to try and help them find the root cause? That's a good question. Um, no, I would never suggest it. And in fact, I don't even remember what I did because I don't even do anything like that now. So the first things that I'm listening for are, are there liver detoxification issues? And that doesn't mean that you need to do a liver detox. Our liver has natural biochemical pathways that are considered like phase one and phase two detoxification. And phase two detox requires a lot of nutrients like glutathione and glycine and B6, and there's all sorts of others involved in that. But those are the main ones that I'm looking at. I'm saying, okay, is there a possible liver detoxification overwhelm problem here? Like we can't get things down phase two to get them out of the body. Are there gut dysfunction issues? So what that means is, are you not pooping correctly? So healthy poop, <laughs> hope you don't mind me saying poop. Some people are like, um, but I, I like to just like, I like to have conversations with where people are and, and healthy, a healthy poop is one to three times a day, a bowel movement where you're just like, you go and you're, and you're done. You're out of there. And a lot of people don't, they really struggle either with constipation or diarrhea, or they oscillate between the two. And they, because the rash seems like the most it's, that's the center of their world. That's, that's what's annoying them the most. They forget that they're having these other issues. Or if there's gas or bloating, belching, um, maybe you have a lot of heartburn um, or digestive discomfort or pain around the gallbladder area. So that's like the upper right quadrant. Um, and so I want to try to understand what's happening there because a lot of times what happens is we have skin rashes. We assume the flares once you kind of leave the conventional state, we're like, okay, what else could be triggering this? The first thing you find is food, right? We blame food a lot. Then you start to notice as you tune into food that all of a sudden you're having symptoms. You go, oh, well, the food must have caused my symptoms. So the food's to blame. And that's actually very inaccurate. It's not necessarily the food at fault for causing those issues. It's what happens to the food when it gets inside of you, which is much more difficult for us to quantify without data because you can't just like tap your nose and spit out a tape and it'll tell you what's going on internally. And so that's where we have to look at, is gut dysfunction the result, for example, of uh, like an H. pylori infection where it, your stomach acid has become neutralized and you're no longer breaking down proteins appropriately and now everything headed downstream is a train wreck. So there's a lot of different things we wanna consider, but it's always about looking underneath the surface a lot deeper so that way we can really start to address those, those issues. It sort of seems like you're, I'm not addressing at it, the skin issues head on, but the truth of the matter is, addressing it head on is the steroid cream. It's a topical antibiotic if say you need that. This is taking the scenic route and saying, okay, let's support the systems underneath the surface that are really struggling so that the skin ultimately can thrive. And apart from, say, looking at, a, at what a rash looks like, are factors such as when it itches or how often it's irritated helpful in you working out what's causing that rash? Absolutely. 
I'm a big fan of tracking rash flares and whatnot. So for women, we want to consider a menstrual cycle. Our hormones definitely play a role. Some women, believe it or not, actually become allergic to their progesterone. So that is a thing. Um, it can also be an issue because if we end up in a state of estrogen dominance, which also shares a lot of similarity to Hashimoto's or hypothyroidism, a lot of the symptoms are similar. But estrogen dominance can happen when we can't. So estrogen gets deactivated by our liver. Our liver's job is to, to kind of control the amount that's there and it ends up in your bile. And when you eat fats and food, it gets squeezed out from the gallbladder and travels down through the digestive tube, but it might meet some bugs in your gut that have an enzyme to reactivate it and it gets reabsorbed. So your whole process of getting hormones out gets hijacked. And so that's one piece. The second piece is also considering some people have parasitic infections and those are also cyclical. So I would absolutely recommend that people track the cycles of flaring to and how long, you know, it's also a great marker to see progress as well, but tracking to see cycles is important. And through your work and clinical experience and research, what do you believe to be the main hidden causes for chronic rashes like eczema, psoriasis, hives? Well, so there are 16 different root causes, believe it or not. <laughs> A lot of people want it to be just like one thing. And I understand that desire because we're like, what's just the one thing that's driving my skin completely nuts? And unfortunately, that is a little trickier than anybody realizes a lot of times. And so I developed these great graphics that I love to share on Instagram and with my, my community because I think it really encapsulates how, how broad of a problem this is, but also why what one solution may not work for everyone. And so I'll just rattle these off quickly. So you've got microbiome dysbiosis. It could happen both at the skin and the level of the gut, gut dysfunction, diet and food reactions. So those would be those sort of food triggers that we're so concerned about and fixate on a lot of times. Nutritional deficiencies, the liver detox challenges I mentioned, trauma, unmanaged stress, genes um, certainly play a role. That's a big piece. There's one gene, filaggrin, that's actually pretty important when it comes to skin barrier function. Thyroid dysfunction, hormone imbalances, the estrogen dominance was one thing that I had mentioned. Autoimmunity, drug reactions, mitochondrial dysfunction, heavy metals, environmental toxins, and also those environmental allergies like pollen and pet dander. Wow. And we know, like you said, everybody is different. What works for one person might not work for another. But in your experience, have you seen any common themes in what has worked to get rid of a certain rash among your clients? Um, yes, to some degree. And I actually, I should clarify for anyone listening, you don't have all 16. I should say that because that is important. I think people hear that listen, they're like, oh my gosh, you have a combo, usually somewhere between three to five, maybe six. That's why what worked for say Ashley is not going to work for John. Um, and that's where people get frustrated. They think they're broken but you're not, it's not that you're doing something wrong. It's not that you failed. It's not that like you're cursed. It's because what worked her, her root causes were different than his or vice versa. So um, yes, there are some things that can help. Um, one thing I will say is that the common thread through many of my cases is looking at the microbiome, the gut microbiome specifically. Um, 
H. pylori is one of those pieces. It is important to know whether you have H. pylori, given that 50 to 60% of the world's population is infected with it, and 30 to 35% of those infected have no symptoms whatsoever. Rash is like a small little like, oh, by the way, you might have a rash. Because people don't have heartburn and they, um, you know, they don't have all these histamine symptoms and asthma and all this stuff, or vomiting or nausea, um, a lot of times doctors will blow them off about that or not even consider it, but it is worthwhile to get checked around that. But I ask the majority of my clients at this point to do a stool test because the microbiome plays such a huge role in that inflammation. Inflammation can wreck the filaggrin gene that I mentioned. It doesn't destroy it, but what essentially what it does is you have a gene product, inflammation causes the gene to dysfunction and not produce an appropriate protein. And filaggrin as a protein in the skin is almost like mortar mix in a brick wall. It helps seal it up nice and tight. But if you can't produce healthy filaggrin as a result of inflammation that's ca caused somewhere else in the system, um, you can, that can be a major factor here. So looking for an, um, if you have enough stomach acid, making sure that we don't have any pathogens or overgrowth of any particular types of bacteria are huge game changers for many of my clients. Um, and I'll also say too, for those who have skin um, infections, because you should consider that a, an ongoing long flare where people are like trying all these different things. I'm like, please go get a culture, go to your doctor, get a culture because it could be candida. It could be a staph infection. It could be a strep infection. And none of those potions and herbals and botanicals and creams, as much as we love them and the power that they bring are probably going to really save you. And it's just going to make things worse. So that you have this internal an external force that drives a lot of these skin issues and we need to keep them in mind um, from both perspectives. So that way you can really just um, get some relief. So what should people look for in a healthcare provider to be able to go and get these kind of tests carried out? Ooh, so one thing that's interesting in the United States, um, pretty much every state except for four allows you to go do the testing on your own. So that's nice. Um, it's not covered by insurance. So that's the only thing that actually is not nice about it, but that is a good thing. Um, a lot of blood labs can be really helpful. Um, even a pretty extensive panel of like SCBC and a fasted CMP and a lipid panel and B12, vitamin D, folate, those kind of things can all be incredibly helpful at looking under the surface, but it gives you one piece of the puzzle. The stool test or other functional testing can be helpful. So looking for a provider that is helpful you might have to think more about piecing together a team as opposed to, I'm just going to find one person. So the integrative dermatologists that I've talked about, some of them do like conventional or they do um, functional testing. Some, not all. Um, some may run regular labs, not all. It's a small, small group of individuals right now. And so it's made up of dermatologists, so MDs, DOs, naturopaths, and then some dietitians and nutritionists like myself that are all very like-minded, but it's a small number of us. So my, my suggestion here would be that you really have to look for somebody that understands this. I would, I would give a warning. I think there's a lot of positive things about functional medicine, but functional medicine as a whole does not teach a whole lot about chronic skin conditions and they address everything in the same way. So just because it's a functional and I'm not, 
I'm not trying to say anything negative, but unfortunately I've had a lot of clients who have seen a, a number of functional providers who didn't understand that there is a different way to address skin issues than you would address, say, autoimmunity in general. So it's just, it, you have to make sure that whom you're working with actually understands and has worked with a lot of cases, not just, oh, no, 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 I studied this or that. That's great. Um, I will tell you the way that I think and address things now three years in, three plus years in is so much different than when I started. That's why I say I would never put someone on the protocol I made for myself. It was a shot in the dark, a hope and a prayer and it worked, but it's not, I would never make somebody wait six months to see any results. That's just, I don't even know how I used to sustain that. I'm not sure what sustained me, but. Well, talking of protocols, um, I just want to touch on elimination diets. You've mentioned already when I had a chronic skin problem called perioral dermatitis for about three years. And Jennifer, you read my article on this. Anyone watching or listening, I'll put a link to it in the description. Well, that rash at the time seemed like it came out of nowhere. And one of my initial thoughts was, is it something I'm eating? And given what you said earlier, do you think this is one of the biggest mistakes people with rashes make believing it's food immediately? Yes. Um, what if, okay, so I want to, I want to put a little asterisk with that. Yes. But if you have a history of pollen allergies, that may be true that food is causing a problem and it's something called cross reactive allergens. Um, and so I would, I would, uh, I would inform yourself of what those are because a lot of people don't have any idea. And there's also something called oral allergy syndrome that is connected to that. Um, so yes, in that instance, as far as elimination diets for foods that we become sensitive to, no, that's not a root cause. Food sensitivities are driven by issues between the gut function and the microbiome. And so that's where we get confused. We think it's the food, but it's actually what happens to the food when it gets inside of us. It's not either being digested and absorbed properly, or it ends up feeding the bugs in the system and they ferment it. And you don't want to ferment proteins. It's called putrefaction. It's as bad as it sounds. So it's important to understand that if you start to become more reactive to food, I'm not doubting reactivity to food. But if you feel like you are and you need to be on an elimination diet, then you need to ask yourself what's going on internally that's causing this dysfunctional relationship with food, not continuing to take more and more out thinking, well, the next food that I take out will solve the problem. That's got to be the answer. Now, that said, if someone's eating a really junk food diet with lots of sugar and other inflammatory fats and oils and all sorts of things, that's a different story. You should make strides to clean up your diet. You shouldn't have to come to me or someone else to tell you that. But if you are eating a very healthy diet, which most of my clients are, some are on way too restrictive of diets and they've developed a lot of food fear. Um, I think we have overutilized, we've overutilized um, elimination diets thinking that they're forever and they're really a test. They're for a period of time and if you can't sustain those results or you don't see an improvement within 30 to 60 days at most, that means something else is going on and you really need to get some additional help. That's really interesting to hear. In fact, if there was one thing you could tell everyone with a chronic rash, whether it's eczema, psoriasis, dermatitis, if there was one thing you could tell them not to do, what would it be? 
Uh, don't go on a crazy elimination diet and keep taking more and more foods out. Um, I'll give you a couple of real quick fast tips. One, if you take out animal foods and you go vegan and all of a sudden you feel better and you see an improvement, you probably have low stomach acid. That's a real big red flag. Um, carnivore diet, I've only worked with a handful of those clients. I do know that there are some amazing improvements. I don't think there's enough science behind that right now. However, the lab work and the stool panels that I have seen are some of the most messed up panels from those individuals, even though they feel really, I mean, like they're just, I feel bad in saying it, they're really train wrecks and it's so concerning, even their doctors are concerned. So I'm not anti-carnivore, but I think we need a lot more research to understand what happens to the body um, with that type of diet. So I think you have to way like for example if salicylates are an issue for you that's a liver detoxification issue that that tells us that your liver actually needs some support with probably some amino acids and some b6 so i think if we can use those diets as clues as stepping stones that's one thing but i would not ever suggest that you start mimicking I'm going to take this food out and then that food. And before you know it, you're on five foods and you're afraid or you can't reintroduce foods because you seem to react. That's a really serious place to be in because you end up nutritionally deficient and that actually will make your skin issues worse. And everybody has such an individual response. Yes. Um, so this next question relates to one of your blog posts. Can you tell us why being too clean is actually bad for our skin? Yes. Um, so it's interesting in the, the, the world we live in today. Um, one of the problems that we saw with, was that the over sanitization, um, they've seen an increase in asthma, allergies, all this kind of stuff. So we become out of sync with our environment, especially as people are in their homes, they're not out in the woods, you don't put your hands in the dirt, you don't, you know, like we're just so detached from the, the exterior world. Um, and there's also some interesting theories that I've read and talked to other, um, some functional physicians about this idea that perhaps we did at one point live in harmony with certain types of parasites, but that as the body became more sensitized to different things, that's where we started to develop a lot more issues with them. Um, however, that said, you know, given that we're like in hyper sanitization mode right now, um, I do think that we have a major problem. People are seeing a real increase in hand eczema, um, a lot of hand dryness because we're using these very harsh hand sanitizers, some of which have chemicals that are toxic and are, we, there's warnings from the FDA about them and whatnot. But the overwashing of the hands, um, feeling like we need to wash ourselves down when we go outside, um, I think to some degree, it, it is fine to be cautious, but you know, like my mom always say, oh, here's some hand sanitizer. I'm like, mom, I'm just going to wash my hands when I get home. Um, so just, I think you have to, and I'm not telling anyone what to do. I think you have to work within your own level of comfort. But to me, being clean is important. Not carrying germs in my house is very important and not making like my 73 year old mother whom I'm kind of responsible for sick is really important to me. But it doesn't mean that we spray our whole home with Lysol and Clorox and everything. So I think 
Um, we just need to be cautious. There's some really interesting, I actually have two podcasts um, on the Healthy Skin Show from like, I think April, one that's on hand washing and then the other that's on hand sanitizers and also some of the dangers of making them yourself which was a really interesting thing. Um, but your listeners might be interested to learn about hypochlorous acid, which is made by your white blood cells. And it's used to, um, uh, they filter it into ORs in order to disinfect and it kills everything. So there are some products on the market that are hypochlorous acid. And I actually bought one um, and it's interesting. It's like a gel. It looks like water almost, but a little thicker of a consistency. It doesn't burn, doesn't smell, doesn't anything. And um, it has the capacity to kill bacteria and viruses and whatnot. So that might be an interesting thing for, for your audience to check out. So you would recommend, so you've been using that because it's something you get on well with. I do. And actually the reason I got it was because I also heard that it'll stop mosquito bites from itching. And it does. So when I'm out in the garden, I have so many mosquitoes, I get swarmed, I get these big welts, and I have, I have good histamine tolerance, they go away quickly. But my husband does not, and he'll end up sometimes with cellulitis almost and end up on antibiotics. So I just thought, you know, I'm like, I'll try it, why, why not? So I spray it on myself when I get mosquito bites, and the itch goes away right, goes away, right away. And so then I had him try it, and he, he has to take like histamine stuff and Benadryl and he noticed the same thing. So for us, we just did it for bug bites, but I had known about it for this other reason. It was just very hard to get back um, like when lockdown happened. Now it's, there's a lot more products on the market. There's one called Active Skin Repair. That was the one that I purchased. Um, there's also one that's specifically for skin rashes called Skin Smart, which that's a spray. I will look into those. I have a history of horrid insect bites that just swelled beyond belief. And then, yeah, similar to your husband in terms of what kind of treatment and medication I had to have. Yeah. Um, we're almost up on time. If someone is watching this, who is dealing with an unexplained rash, it's making them miserable. We both know what that's like. And they're wondering if this is gonna be this way for the rest of their lives, what would you want them to know? It doesn't have to be this way for the rest of your life, but your skin rash might you might have to make friends with it. I know no one likes to hear that, but like I said, I mean, mine popped back out and it was a reminder to me to check in and say what's going on. There are a lot of things that you can do. There are a lot of things to explore that are well beyond diet, that are well beyond medications and such. Um, and I would suggest if you can, um, like I have a really great test. It's called the low stomach acid test. And it's, you're not taking betaine HCL, which I don't actually think is a good idea, especially if you have H. pylori. But um, that can really help you at least get a sense of your digestive dysfunction. Um, and so from there, you know, also checking in with all of your symptoms, not just the skin symptoms, make a list of everything head to toe that does not seem right. Um, that might also help give you some insight into like how systemic of an issue this actually is. The skin is just a, is, it's more of a pressing pro It feels like a more pressing problem, but there's actually something underneath that really needs attention. And before you go, do you have time to give us your yeah. three top tips for rebuilding healthy skin? Yes, absolutely. So I would say number one, if I was talking about the liver detoxification, right? So the, the thing I tell everybody if you have skin rashes, start with some glycine powder. 
Uh, it's an amino acid. You can buy it. It's very inexpensive. And usually you want to take some, something between three to five grams of it a day. Don't worry. It's not a lot. And it's pretty easy to figure out usually from the bottle. Um, you just add it to a little bit of water and it actually tastes sweet, believe it or not. It'll, it'll dissolve and you just drink it down. You don't have to do a big glass, just a little bit. And that can be really helpful in getting at least the glycine pathway of the liver phase two detox to get moving. And I would do that for at least three weeks before you start doing other things around your skin. Um, the other piece too is that healthy butyrate, which is a short chain fatty acid produced by our microbiome, um, can be really helpful for the skin. And so there's two, yeah, I mean, I would say there's, there's two foods that are really great sources. It's ghee, so the fat from butter, basically, with all the, the solids removed, the milk and sugar solids removed, and then pistachios. So they might be, as long as you don't have a dairy allergy or a nut allergy, those are two really great food options. And then also adding in some really healthy omega-6 cold water fish can be, can be helpful as well. Um, the other thing that I would also add is that if you tend to find that you're waking up in the middle of the night and you're really, really itchy, um, there's a couple of things to consider. Um, I don't, you can reach for the Benadryl or the Zyrtec or whatever it is that you need. And I'm not ever going to tell you not to take a medication that was prescribed to you. However, um, there are some natural more natural like antihistamine foods and such, one of which is nettles. Nettles is an herb. You can get nettle tea. You can get um, it encapsulated. So that might be a thing to try and add that into your routine to see if you can help bring down some of the histamine levels. And then quercetin is another great option as well. Um, and that would be something where you would try and take about 500 milligrams twice a day of quercetin. So it may help just making you a little more uh, comfortable and calm, especially if there's like that really itchy histamine presentation of your rashes. You mentioned omega-6 fish. Did you mean omega-3? Oh gosh, omega-3. Yes. Thank mm -hmm. you. So like cold water fish, like the salmon, uh, cod, um, even trout is, is a great fish to eat, but I would, I would definitely add those in as again, if no fish allergy, I, I work with a lot of people with allergies. There's a lot of presentation of allergies in connection with atopic dermatitis. Um, oh, and the last thing I want to add, because I think it's important, if you have that flare that you think is ongoing, and this is really important, go to the doctor, ask for a culture. Because if there's a dysbiosis on the skin, it's going to be very hard to get rid of if you're just going to treat it with like salves and stuff you bought online. That is something that if you can get the inflammation down by addressing what it is, the culture will tell you what organism or organisms are there. That can make such a huge difference in your sleep and in your sanity. And then you can keep on working on all those other things. So um, just educate yourself on what a staph infection looks like. It can happen to people. It's very common with eczema, but it actually happens with people. Um, I've had clients with psoriasis who've had staph infections as well. So um, it's just important to be mindful of, is it a flare or is it an infection? And get help when, when, that, when it really, you really need it. Yeah, I think getting help and guidance sounds really key here, especially from an expert with your kind of knowledge. And um, Health Hackers viewers and listeners, I will post links to Jennifer's social media and her websites in the description that goes with this video and podcast. Um, Jennifer, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. 
And listeners and viewers, if you're watching on YouTube, please leave us a comment and hit subscribe for regular videos. And if you're watching or listening on Facebook, Spotify, or Apple, then you can opt to like or follow the show there too. That's it. Bye-bye.